Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Kevin, what do you see in your crystal ball? I foresee that we will be recording a new episode of Lore Party. Well, yeah, Kevin, we're recording right now. I already knew that. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. I see something else in front of me. It is called a script, and it's telling me what to say. I, yeah, 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 Kevin, I, I helped you write that script. That's our outline for today's... I, I, I paid you 50 bucks for this bullshit reading? Uh, no refunds. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I'm Kevin. And my name's Abu. And Kevin, we are here for one last round of StarCraft. For now, yes. Yes, one last. For now, yeah. We we could definitely decide to do an episode later down the line, but today's episode is going to wrap up our trilogy of episodes we've done so far. On the first one, we talked about Jim Rayner and Arcturus Mengsk. On the second one, we talked about Sarah Kerrigan. And today, we're diving in to the Zelnaga, specifically the Zelnaga prophecy, which I think we both have quite a few feelings about. Yeah, and I have a feeling they're fairly similar in, uh, in take. So let's actually, before we, get into, before we get into the actual Zelnaga prophecy and the story of StarCraft II specifically, I think you and I should have just a bit of a discussion about prophecies in general, what they are, how they function in a story, and some of our sort of brief feelings about them. How do you feel about that? I think it sounds great. So, Kevin, define prophecy for us. What is a prophecy normally in a story? So, essentially, they are just very vague predictions. Um, They don't... they're, They're kind of like... They're like... A prediction inside of a riddle and it's up to you as the reader the person who's you know receiving the prophecy or what have you to basically figure out um i personally think they're it depends on how they're used but they can either be used as a really good plot device or they can just be used as a really like lazy form of storytelling um but basically the whole concept of a prophecy is like you don't know if it's going to come to fruition and it depends on like do the characters kind of know about it do they follow it it's it's there it is a it is a it's almost like the prophecy itself is would be a character in its own right and they're usually based in some sort of mythology right in the universe it's either some sort of religious text or a mythological uh, sort of uh, prophecy or prediction, and it's always something. It's always something that's like 
very old. It's not like I just had a prophecy. It's either like something very old or something far enough in the past to there's a couple of exceptions to that, but very far into the past or if it's like it's something in the past of a character, if you will. Right, right. They're usually ancient. You're absolutely right. And they're usually used, like you said, as motivators for the story, either motivators to move the plot along or motivation for the characters themselves to do something or not to do something, depending on how they interpret the prophecy and whether or not they believe it. Um, Let's talk about a couple of examples in pop culture that we have written down here uh, of some prophecies, both good and bad. I think one of the biggest prophecies in pop culture is that of Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader, Mm -hmm. right? The chosen one, the one that supposedly will bring balance to the force, the one that Qui-Gon Jinn in Star Wars Episode One vouched for and truly believed in. You know, he was really the original Jedi who was like, this prophecy is real and it's happening right now. And this little boy is the one. Space Jesus. Yep. And Space Jesus, right. And I would say, and I would say there's, I, I mean, that's the biggest example and then i i mean i would also add like harry potter um that's the example yep, that i would yep. use as the one where it's not necessarily an ancient prophecy but it's a prophecy far enough into the past where it affects the character's entire life not just like starting at a specific point in their life right those are two pretty huge prophecies in modern pop culture that we've experienced. And I think it's interesting. I would, I do want to point out both of those prophecies are very similar in the sense that the characters in the stories heard the prophecy, they believed it, and then they acted on it, which made the prophecy come to fruition, if that makes sense. Like the the prophecy only came true because the prophecy existed in the first place it's almost like a logical fallacy that the if the prophecy never existed in the first place it may or may not have come true at all you know like the thing that made the prophecy happen was the prophecy itself yeah like i would add to that it's it's more about okay say i don't know about this prophecy it exists but i don't know about it and We'll say also any external forces that are influencing me also don't know about it. And so does that mean it's going to come true? Oh, well, they know about it, but I don't know about it. They're going to influence me on that. And I don't, do I actually have a choice? It's all about choice again. We're back to that thing. But it's kind of like, if I know about it, do I choose to ignore it? Do I choose to follow it? Me, just by me knowing it, does that mean that it's secretly, subconsciously, like, influencing my decisions right there's a ton of ways the prophecy could like affect the characters in the story oh it doesn't have to be they directly heard it and then acted on it like just like you're saying other characters could change the course of events Uh, it could be some sort of subconscious influence um but yeah I, i think you're absolutely right there's a ton of ways the prophecy can influence it but i just find it so interesting that anakin became Darth Vader because of his visions he became Darth he likes there was this like self-fulfilling sort of aspect to that prophecy just like Voldemort sought out Harry's parents because he heard the prophecy and in turn made Harry the chosen one like it, it, if he had just ignored the prophecy and chosen not to believe it 
I, things could have just been fine for him. Well, the, <laughs> the thing about um, Star Wars that I find interesting is that it's almost like the universe made it happen. Like, it wasn't a specific individual, per se. Like, sure, the Emperor had an influence, and they all, like, knew about the prophecy, but what ultimately made Anakin change his decisions were the universe was, like, sending him these thought-provoking messages in his dreams, so it wasn't, like, yeah. a specific... Although, the, yes, we can say, like, the Force itself is a character in, in its own aspect, but it that is what was influencing him not really other characters right and that's interesting that you bring that up because that that's sort of going to be a factor in the zel naga prophecy that we're going to get to in a second but is it is it though because i'm going to go into that we'll talk about that but i <laughs> we'll also we'll want to add one other thing so like we didn't we also didn't mention um the prince that was promised from game of thrones and we are not going to spoil that one for anybody but I noticed a trend with these pro- like these kinds of prophecies, like all these big cultural works that have prophecies. It's always about an individual rather than a group or necessarily an event or something like that. It's always about like somebody being a leader or somebody changing the co- it was a person that changes the course of something. Yeah, somebody being a chosen one, somebody being the hero of our story. And that is like the plot device of like, oh, this this story has a prophecy. Oh, it's I can almost guarantee it's going to be out about a person and it's going to do this. And you can almost like predict the whole thing. The only one that I will say that has a prophecy and it's only fresh in my mind because I just binged the whole show is Ash versus Evil Dead. It's total bullshit and I love it, but... The way that I'm not going to spoil anything, but that is the best example of a character not giving a living shit about a prophecy about them. (laughs) He could care less. He's like, oh, there's a prophecy. Cool story, bro. I'm going to go kill this deadite. Like he doesn't care. And it I think that's like the only character that I've experienced in a pop culture kind of situation like this, a story where I don't think subconsciously it actually affected them at all. Yeah. Well, that, that's sort of that's sort of the point of a prophecy in a story, right? Is it again? It's the motivator. It gets the characters to do something. It's really interesting that the characters in that show. I haven't seen the show that you're referencing, but it's interesting that this person heard the prophecy and was just like, "Okay, bye." Like, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> I mean, it plays into aspect in the show and all that. I don't want people to get mad at me who have seen it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but basically, the whole show, he just doesn't give a shit. Um, let's get into the Zelnaga prophecy though because this one is whack yeah yeah definitely there's a lot of ground to cover here and we're not going to get into super super detail and try to cover all the characters but i do want to give a little bit of a brief background so we have a foundation of where this Zelnaga prophecy came from and then how it affects our characters in starcraft 1 and starcraft 2 um, so let me let me very briefly give you sort of the history 101 of the Zelnaga. The Zelnaga are this ancient race in the galaxy that is almost immortal. Now, they're not immortal, so of course they want to be. And in this quest and desire to become immortal, they start something called the Infinite Cycle. And what they do is they travel to a galaxy, they populate it with life with organic life they create it and then 
they let that organic life grow and evolve and eventually choose two of them and guide them to their planet, the planet Ulnar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But the idea is that two of these species that the Zelnaga have populated a galaxy with will find the keystone, which is the artifact from Wings of Liberty that turns Sarah Kerrigan back into sort of human. And they'll take this keystone, they'll go to Ulnar, and they'll find the sleeping Zelnaga. And then what the Zelnaga will do using this keystone is give their essence to these two species, uplift them, and turn them into Zelnaga. Just, how, just like how Kerrigan was turned into a Zelnaga at the end of StarCraft II. And then the cycle begins anew. So that's a very basic background on who the Zelnaga are and what the infinite cycle is, because that's very important to this story. And then Amon enters the scene. Yeah, he kind of screws everything up for them. Um, essentially, he thinks the cycle is bullshit. He thinks it's boring, lame, not into it. Right. Uh, and I just want to interject, Kevin. Why? Why does he think it's bullshit? Was that ever explained? I don't... Honestly, I don't think they necessarily explain why he thinks it's bullshit. I think it's kind of insinuated. <laughs> and basically, Amon is like, this is dumb because I am more powerful than all these beings. Why don't I just shape the universe or, you know, galaxy, the universe, all these creatures into my own image? I want to be in charge. It's all about greed. He's just greedy and he's power hungry and... I think that is kind of just insinuated why he's like, what are we doing? This is stupid. Why do we have this responsibility of guiding these other species? We are essentially gods to them. Why don't we act like gods? Like that's kind of, I think his whole, I think that's kind of his whole decision-making process. And so when he decides to intervene with like the whole Zerg Protoss like development, he kind of wants to create his own species out of the two so he makes like the hybrids right that that's ultimately his goal is to create this sort of hybrid army that he can use to fight his fellow zelnaga and to break the cycle he doesn't want the cycle to complete and for two species to be risen up into the new uh sort of generation of zelnaga he wants to break that cycle create a hybrid army that he can wipe out the galaxy with so that he can start over with a blank slate and create it in his own image for whatever reason. I, I would love to know what Amon's motivations were, but I literally I did a bunch of research. I looked into it. I couldn't find anything substantial. Like the only thing I found was like I agree about I agree with your analysis of Amon. Like that's probably a lot of where his motivations come from. But th- I, I read something else that Amon was part of one cycle. Like he used to be one of the races that got raised up and turned into a Zelnaga. And then after he got turned into a Zelnaga, he was like, Oh, so I just do this again. Like this is just an endless cycle. Like he felt like his identity maybe was taken away from him. I'm getting a little bit speculative here. No, that's, that's cool. That's actually really, really interesting. Cause, cause I didn't think of it like that. Like uh, you're you become you know like you get these like interdimensional beings these cosmic beings that say join us be one of us and you're like hell yeah like you created me like i'm gonna become one of you this is great this is awesome and then it's like okay what now i'm one of you like what do we do now and it's like well we're gonna do the same thing we do every night 
Pinky try to take over the world. Like we're gonna create, you know, another one. Now you just gotta sit here and do it with us all the time. You don't get to do anything else. And I think that, yeah, that sounds pretty cool because that really explains a lot. Yeah. So that that's a bit that's a bit of speculation on my part to be like totally transparent. Again, I don't think this was made very clear. I don't think Amon as a character as an antagonist was made very clear in StarCraft 2 like who he really is, what his motivations like truly may be. Uh you know, like I don't know, may, I would have loved some sort of like Amon DLC maybe where we get his origin story. I don't know. Like he to me he's just such such a weak antagonist and it's hard to believe his motivations and it's hard to sort of be like, oh yeah, he's a good bad guy cuz he He's not, you know, he's he's like a Disney villain where he's yeah. just like, I want to take over the galaxy. It's a very black and white, who's good, who's bad, kind of DC-esque style. So to briefly cover this Amon situation that the Zelnaga are facing now, they eventually realize what his plan is, that he's been tampering with the Zerg and the Protoss. So the rule up to this point for the Zelnaga has been don't tamper with the two races, right? Like, let them evolve, let them find the keystone on their own, and let them find us on the planet Ulnar, and that is when they will be chosen to be raised as Zelnaga. They didn't go in there and directly actually tamper with the races or influence them in any way. Amon breaks that rule in this cycle, and he decides to directly tamper with the Protoss, to directly tamper with the Zerg ultimately to like create his army and take down the other Zelnaga. The Zelnaga find out his plan. There's a war. Amon unleashes the Zerg on the Zelnaga and almost wipes them out entirely. But in a last-ditch battle, the Zelnaga defeat Amon and they banish him to the Void. Uh, and then the rest of them sort of go into hiding or into hibernation. And that's, that's where we pick up, essentially, with the stories in the games in StarCraft 1 and 2. Yeah, and... The whole thing about it is I think it's kind of dumb that they just throw him in a void. Just kill the guy. I mean, you're just giving him ample time to kind of plot, you know? It's kind of like when they, in Superman, like, everybody goes into the Null Realm or whatever. I'm like, that's dumb. You're just giving that. So basically, they can't die. They're alive. And they have all this time to just The question is, if the other Zelnaga could die, why couldn't Amon die? Exactly, exactly. What what happened there? What are you going to do? Put him in, like purgatory for you know millennia and then it's like hope he learned his lesson i just i i think that's just dumb just kill the guy yeah um but i i i would if i could get a bit more speculative here i, I think i would assume it's very much like a sauron from lord of the rings situation like uh, they tried to kill him that's but his essence has per, has survived in the void okay. like maybe that is the situation we're dealing with again the details are very vague like most prophecies are and yeah. we're going to get to the prophecy here but the details are very vague, and uh, we don't know how this war went down. All we know is that Amon's essence, like his body was destroyed, but his essence remains in the void, and it's now plotting his comeback. And that comeback is what our main characters, Zeratul, Jim, uh, Kerrigan, what our main characters are dealing with, is this comeback of the Zelnaga, this comeback of Amon, and his plan to wipe out the galaxy, which obviously our main characters don't want. So let's talk about the prophecy and our boy Oros, who is the man with the plan, supposedly. Yeah, so essentially, he's one of the last like actual surviving Zelnaga. Um, basically, think of it like the one dude who 
in a war who got shot real bad but ends up surviving. Right. And no- notably, he's uh, he's trapped in the void with Amon also. Like, he's also stuck in the void. Yeah, so for all those Supernatural fans, he is essentially like the Michael and Lucifer caught in the box in the cage in, like, the end of season, like, three or something. Um Basically, Don't get that reference, but I'll trust you. Oh my God, you got to see Supernatural. <laughs> okay, sorry. Whew, I love Supernatural. Um, I'm not caught up, but I love it. Uh, basically, it's it's not really the prophecy as it's more of kind of like a very vague set of directions. Yeah. Kind of, you know, like to get the Zerg and the Protoss to kind of help the Zelnaga. The whole thing is they have to influence still. He has to influence the universe still our dimension and he just it's just these vague directions on what to do and they they don't really they're kind of odd and menacing sounding and just very cosmical and not really just straight to the point so of course they're gonna call it a prophecy right I think the assumption here is that because Oros is also stuck in the void, he can't directly communicate with the the real dimension. So he has to be vague about it or he has to somehow send messages about it, which like is proven wrong later on because he takes the form of Tassadar and communicates directly with Zeratul. So could he not have just done that before? <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah, Amon's able to communicate with his guys like what's the whole like i i think it's kind of right like what's the hold up oros like what's with the vague like doom and gloom right he he gives the overmind the vision of the future where amon destroys the uh, like takes over the galaxy and completes his plan he gives he gives the protoss through zeratul this prophecy of the future and like why be so vague about it is always like my burning question just say it like you know like I don't need to play 20 questions. You're not the Sphinx. Like, get on with it. Right. Um, somehow, Zeratul decides to really delve into this and comes up with all the clues and figures out the whole thing about Amon and how to defeat him. And it's, I don't know how. The man's a scholar. We'll say that. I, I honestly, I think... It's just a means, it, it just feels like in the storytelling aspect of it, it's like, we got this one character that just can figure it out, you know, kind of like. Right, right. Loves Zeratul, shouts to our boy Zeratul, but he's just like, he's connecting a lot of dots that uh, I just, it's hard to believe that someone would be connecting these dots. Suffice it to say, you and I are skeptical uh, and we, you know, we're here for the ride. It's fine. Zeratul does his thing. He solves this prophecy. He goes to the preservers. They send him to the Overmind. He sees the vision that the Overmind saw. He puts all the pieces together, connects all the dots, realizes that Kerrigan is the key to our salvation, that she is the one that can defeat Amon. And then he lets Jimmy know this information through the those crystals. So now our main characters know what's up as well. Jimmy and the Terrans know what's up. Zeratul has told Artanis. Artanis doesn't necessarily believe it to begin with, but ultimately Zeratul convinces him as well. And then, of course, Kerrigan, who becomes the primal queen of blades because Zeratul tells her about the prophecy, uh, doesn't necessarily believe it, but she also knows about it. So eventually, Zeratul does his job and he lets everybody know about the prophecy. Um, 
That ultimately leads to saving the galaxy, the defeat of Amon, and Oros transfers his essence to Sarah Kerrigan. She becomes the final Zelnaga, right? Like, the Zelnaga are dead. Amon does manage to kill the sleeping Zelnaga at one point in the story. And Kerrigan and Oros are truly like the last Zelnaga left. Oros sacrifices himself, gives his essence to Kerrigan. She becomes the final Zelnaga. And interestingly enough, the cycle is broken, right? Like, Amon was defeated, but the cycle's done. There's no more Zelnaga cycle. There's no more infinite cycle. It's over. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Lore Party listeners. This is Lawrence, one of the producers here on the show. I'm dropping in to talk about some of the amazing content that the team has developed and that you're obviously aware of seeing as you've made it this far into this amazing episode. I would encourage you to scroll through the rest of the feed and check out some of our spinoff podcasts as well. Our episodes are easy to follow and may even inspire your next video game purchase, which is why I'm pretty much addicted to Stardew Valley. Anyways, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and chat with us on social. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. I do want to take a minute to sort of wrap up here and to wrap up our thoughts on this episode and the Zelnaga prophecy, if prophecy is what you can really call it, by sort of sharing our thoughts, because uh, I think it's pretty clear what we think about this part of this story in StarCraft II, what we think about the Zelnaga and mm-hmm. their prophecy and the cycle. But I'd love to sort of lay it out and really share what we think about it. So um, I would say you go first. You go first on this one. All right. So I think to be totally clear, I thought the Zelnaga prophecy was the weakest part of the story in StarCraft II. And not to get into some sort of semantics fight about it, but it's it's like not even a prophecy, right? Like, sure, Oros is this like ancient Zelnaga godlike being, godlike figure, and he's sort of laying breadcrumbs for Zeratul to follow. So maybe from Zeratul's perspective, when some godlike being is laying breadcrumbs for you, you can think of it as a prophecy. But it's not really, right? It's really just a set of directions. Like, Oros is like, hey, I need you to put the keystone together. I need you to bring it to Ulnar so that we can give you our essence so you guys can defeat Amon. You know, like, he, it's just a set of directions. It's an SOS signal from the void. Um, so, again, not, not to get, like, nitpicky about it. Doesn't matter what we call it. Uh, I think it was still a weak storytelling choice. But uh, that, that was my first issue with the prophecy, was that it... It just was a bad prophecy, start to finish. And I I think we've sort of beat that horse to death and beyond, so we don't have to continue digging into that. Well, I'm going to dig, okay? (laughs) I'm just going to give you my whole thing on this. Yeah, let's hear it. I think the whole concept of prophecies, they're kind of bullshit. I I think it's lazy writing. Um, it can be used really well, like as a plot device. If you really do it correctly, it can be used very well. I don't really think it served any like heavy processing. Like when I'm reading a story and it's kind of like a mystical thing or like 
sci-fi like this you know you're looking for twists you're looking for something that really keeps you reading and this didn't keep me going this was like it kind of felt that they didn't know how to get their story across so they just used some cheap trick to try to just get to an end to have an ending do you know what I mean? Like right. we want to make you have like these feelings that these characters are important. Really. We don't know why we can't figure it out. So we're just going to like put it together. Like it's some dumb thing that we, I'm even having trouble to do it. Cause it just, it's just dumb. It's just lazy. I didn't like it. Yeah. And I, I think if I didn't like the characters in Starcraft so much, like if I didn't love Kerrigan, if I didn't love Jimmy and our, even Arcturus Manx and Sarah to Artanas, I like, I would have had no motivation to finish this story. You know, the oh, story yeah. and the plot itself wasn't compelling. It was the characters in it that I was here for. The characters were the reason I stayed and the story was just something I plowed through. I was there for the characters and the universe that was already established. But at least in Star Wars, it's like, hey, there's a chosen one. They're going to be born. Force, we know there's dark, light. This one's bringing balance to the Force. Even that was still a little vague. How are they going to do that? What do you mean by balance to the force? Like, there's your own interpretation of prophecies, that whole aspect of it. I mean, at least Harry Potter I think that's a good way to do a prophecy, right? Like, if a prophecy is vague in the sense that it's ambiguous, that you could interpret it multiple ways, that's interesting. Like, what does balance to the force mean? That's an interesting interpretation, because for the Jedi, balance to the force means make it good, get rid of the Sith, no more dark side. But, you know, we've come to learn and we've come to interpret that prophecy as potentially just meaning balance to the force, as in the dark and the light are equally powerful. I, I, I think like an ambiguous interpretation of a prophecy is interesting. That's a good way to do a prophecy because you don't really know what you're getting into. Like the prophecy isn't just telling you what's happening. Or it isn't just telling you where the plot's going next. There's a question. There's a big question mark there. At least these prophecies give you a real kind of explanation still that is understandable that you can interpret. Whereas this right. one, right. I didn't know what the hell was going. I like again. How the hell does Zeratul know this shit? Like, what is it? What? What? Right. Like my New York that accent just, is coming another, out now because I'm. That's another interesting point that you bring up. Like we as the as the consumer of this story couldn't figure that prophecy out on our own like it wasn't until Zeratul started putting pieces of the puzzle together that we started following along like that's not fun you know like you have to create that dramatic irony with the reader with the watcher with the player as they're interpreting the story and this prophecy like that is like when when I'm reading Harry Potter and I read the prophecy, I'm like, oh, shit, I think I know what this means. Oh, this could mean this. Like, I'm also trying to break it down and interpret it. You can't do that with the Zelnaga prophecy until Zeratul just figures it out for you. It makes it feel like, I, and I use the term reader um, in, in like the literary sense, like it makes it feel kind of with the whole Zelnaga prophecy, like the writer felt as if the reader was too dumb to figure it out. Therefore, yes. you just made it as a plot device for a character to just know about and just say it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will say w one last thing I want to say is we, it, it may sound like we have been shitting on StarCraft for the last 30, 40 minutes, <laughs> but uh, just to backpedal a little bit, I realize 
that in universe there are potential reasons for why these things could be, right? Like all yes. the problems that we've laid out that we have with the story in StarCraft II, with the prophecy itself, with the way the Zelnaga acted, there's like maybe reasons why that is, right? Like oh, maybe yeah. Amon was like Sauron and he was able to protect his essence in the void. Maybe Oros was powerless in the void and so had to be vague because he was powerless yada you know Amon had him in a headlock i don't know (laughs) like that well i'm agreeing with you on this one because it feels like there can be so many in universe explanations and it just felt like the execution was what was off right right well well it just like we shouldn't have to like speculate on like, oh, maybe this is the reason this didn't work. You know, like the onus shouldn't be on the player to sort of come up with these anti-universe reasons why something would happen. Like the writers, the storytellers should have already thought of that reason. And that reason, if not clear, should be easy to decipher. You know, like if you are heavily invested in the lore, you can easily be like, oh, of course, like when you go to the void, you lose your power. That's established. We already know that. And that's obviously what happened to Amon and Oros. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, but like, that's not established. We don't know that. So we just have to like come up with these reasons why this, the story would unfold the way it did. And the, the consumer shouldn't have to be the person coming up with reasons to, to plug the holes in this ship. So that's all I'll say. I, I think ultimately we are still huge fans of StarCraft, right? Like, oh, we, I love it. We, we are so passionately shitting on it in this episode because we care so much like the universe is amazing the characters are amazing i mean listen to our last two episodes we do nothing but gush about james rayner and kerrigan and to some extent we even talk about arturus Mensk in a positive light like we love these characters we love this universe and we loved both of the games there were just some very clear problems with the with the storytelling in the second game and we are just very passionate about it and i think it's our passion that makes us so upset that the story fell so flat in a world we loved so much well that about wraps it up we hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you did please take a second to rate and review us on apple podcasts it really helps us grow the show and be sure to connect with us on twitter and instagram at lore underscore party thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next time